and welcome to CausePods. I'm your host, Matthew Passy. Here at CausePods, we have one simple mission, to highlight the amazing folks who are using podcasts as a way to raise awareness for good causes and make the world a better place, whether it's in their own local community or they're taking on global issues. Please visit us at causepods.org where you can learn about our guest show, their favorite charitable cause, join our Facebook group with resources for cause-based podcasters, and find a link where you yourself could be a guest here on CausePods. Again, that's all at causepods.org. All right, folks, going to take you down to North Carolina today. We are chatting with Natalie Vecchione. She's a co-founder of FASD Hope, and she hosts the podcast of the same name. Natalie, thank you so much for joining us here on CausePods today. Matt, thank you so much for having me. I'm glad to be here. It is my pleasure. And so for everybody listening, FASD stands for Fetal Alcohol Spectrum Disorder. And I think for most people, right, they probably understand the fetal alcohol piece of this. But just to start us off, tell us a little bit about FASD, you know, what that means, what your cause is, and you know, why this is of interest to you. Sure thing. Well, most people know about fetal alcohol syndrome, which is one of the more severe diagnoses of FASD, fetal alcohol spectrum disorder. But FASD is actually an umbrella term for the diagnoses caused by prenatal alcohol exposure. And there are several of them that are listed. One of them is fetal alcohol syndrome. There's also partial fetal alcohol syndrome, alcohol-related birth defects, neurobehavioral disorder associated with prenatal alcohol exposure, and then alcohol-related neurodevelopmental disorder. That's a mouthful. Um, Basically, FASD, fetal alcohol spectrum disorder, is any diagnoses that are under this umbrella caused by prenatal alcohol exposure. And what one of our missions in FASD HOPE is to not only bring awareness to fetal alcohol spectrum disorder, very misunderstood, and FASD is actually the most common developmental disability in the Western world, Canada, in the United States. FASD affects people in different ways. Many people think that there are facial characteristics that are associated with FASD, and there are with fetal alcohol syndrome, but with up to 90% of the cases of other FASDs, um, there is no visible facial characteristics or no um, visible signs. So it's really an invisible disability. And what another you know mission that we're trying to do with FASD Hope is to bring awareness through our podcast and through our website about not only the prevalence of FASD, but that it is often mistaken for other developmental disabilities or other brain-based diagnoses. FASD is basically caused by alcohol at any time in a woman's pregnancy. One of the big takeaways is that there is no safe amount of alcohol during pregnancy. This is not only just by, you know, the FASD community, but by the CDC, many other organizations stand behind, you know, if either if you're trying to get pregnant, abstain from alcohol, you know, because uh, we know that majority of the pregnancies in the United States are unplanned. And if we think about the percentage of people who drink that is compounded with unplanned pregnancies, then there are a lot more 
um, individuals that have an FASD than many people realize. And in fact, a recent study done at UNC Chapel Hill by Dr. Philip May in 2018 estimated, and this is a conservative amount, that approximately one in 20 children are affected by an FASD. So it's more prevalent than autism and a lot of other developmental disabilities. Well, yeah. So anytime I, I see the word spectrum included in part of a diagnosis, I, I understand that there's a wide range of symptoms that you know could be a part of that. You mentioned, right, that it could be visible, that you could see it in the face of a child. What are some of the more subtle symptoms that maybe people don't even realize that what they are dealing with could be related to FASD with children? FASD has quite a, a few prime, what we call primary characteristics. And before I go into that, there is, if you're interested in learning more about FASD, there is a book that is really just considered the go-to book. It's called Trying Differently Rather Than Harder, and it's by Diane Malbin. And she also founded FACETS, F-A-S-C-E-T-S, which is a training and education and consulting for prenatal alcohol exposure, people who are affected by fetal alcohol. So some of the primary characteristics are things like poor impulsivity, less attention span, distractibility, easily distracted, poor poor working memory, difficulty ha with memory, especially inconsistency. So maybe one day somebody is able to remember something, but the next day they're not. Things like social cues, having difficulty interpreting social cues. Other characteristics, big one, which we kind of highlight in the FASD community, is there's a gap between an individual's chronological age versus their developmental age. And that actually gets bigger or wider as an individual with an FASD gets older because there's more expected of them and they're not able to keep up with that. Executive functioning, which is a big buzzword in the developmental disability community, which essentially executive functioning skills are the skills that we use in everyday life that we kind of don't think about, like carrying out, you know, an activity that has more than a few steps, or things like time, managing money, things like that, daily living types of skills that require, you know, some predicting, that kind of thing. Those are part of executive functioning skills, and those are severely impacted um, when you have an individual with fetal alcohol exposure. So those are just some of the examples. Medically, there are over 400 comorbid medical diagnoses that go along with having an FASD. And because it's a spectrum, it varies from individual to individual. Now, I want to get back to what you were saying earlier about the amount of alcohol and even the timing of when alcohol is consumed that could have that impact. I mean, I think when a lot of people hear fetal alcohol syndrome, just off the bat, they think of possibly someone irresponsible, drinking during their pregnancy, knowingly doing something that they shouldn't be doing. But based on what you're saying, you're you're talking a lot about what sounds like incidental, where women who might not yet know that they're pregnant, or like you said, women who are trying to get pregnant, who could be enjoying regular drinks without you know a care in the world. So how much of this happens outside of what 
some might consider, you know, abusive behavior. Right. Well, in the past, people would think that, you know, an FASD was caused by either, you know, a mother being, a, you know, an alcoholic or, or like you said, you know, intentional. But really, research is finding, um, especially in this 2018 research done by Dr. Philip May, that his study was done across demographics in the U United States and across different socioeconomic status, different, you know, cultural status. FASD does not discriminate. It is more common than we think, and it's more misdiagnosed than we think. Even if alcohol is consumed very early on during during a woman's pregnancy when they don't know, that consumption will affect developing unborn child. And what we found is in the FASD community is that, you know, so many of, I say our kids because I'm a parent of now young adult who has an FASD, so many of our kids and individuals that have an FASD receive we call them the alphabet soup of acronym diagnoses, you know, things like ADHD, ASD, OCD, those kind of things, until they finally get the FASD, which is the cause of those other diagnoses. To answer your question, it's really, it's really so underestimated by not only, you know, society in general, but by, you know, medical professionals, because there are so many unplanned pregnancies. There are so many couples trying to have kids and, you know, they might, you know, have a, a occasional glasses of wine here and there, and then they don't realize they're pregnant. So really, I mean, it's the tip of the iceberg when it comes to when we say, you know, one in 20 or when we give estimates, there are probably so many more individuals affected by having an FASD. And it really... It can be the impact of alcohol. Again, it's a spectrum disorder, so it may impact one individual much less than it'll impact another individual. But what we know at the bottom, you know, at the core of it, I should say, is that fetal alcohol exposure is a brain-based disability. It's a brain-based diagnosis. So it, the alcohol literally changes what happens in the brain and then as a result, especially as that individual gets older, then you'll see more of effects of the alcohol as they develop, unless they're born with alcohol-related birth defects, and then you'll, you'll see those in addition. Now, you said, right, this is a causal thing, right? So there's no undoing this, right? It's just a matter of being able to treat it effectively once you understand what is at the root cause? Yes. There are interventions and what our family has done, there's training so that you can make accommodations. But like any other brain-based disability, there's no cure. There's a lot of research into looking at things that can help. But since it's a brain-based disability, a brain-based diagnosis, essentially it's Prenatal alcohol exposure equals prenatal brain damage. So you can't undo that. However, if diagnosed early or, you know, our son was not diagnosed until he was 15. However, when he was diagnosed, it did open a lot of doors for us in being able to learn strategies to accommodate to him. So if you think of prenatal alcohol exposure, like in terms of traumatic brain injury, 
that's really, I think, the best way to equate it in terms of, okay, well, you can't undo that injury. You can't undo that brain injury, but you can make accommodations. That book that I previously mentioned, Trying Differently Rather Than Harder, is a great introduction to how you can make accommodations so that you're meeting that individual more at their developmental level versus their expected chronological level. You've obviously mentioned this a couple of times. I want to get to this. Your personal experience, right? You've mentioned your son twice, but right, I guess this is what led you into this world. And I want to learn a little bit more about your son and then take it from there and figure out how you got started with making this your cause, not just something that you as a parent have been, you know, dealing with. You know, like so many parent advocates, I call myself an accidental advocate, you know, so many parents in, you know, when we advocate for, you know, whatever diagnosis or whatever, you know, cause, we do it because honestly, there are not many people that are doing it, you know, and, and I found with other parents, especially in support groups and things like that, that you know, parents really, we are our kids' champions. We, you know, we are the ones that make the loudest noise, to be honest with you. So we, my husband and I adopted both of our children and we adopted our son when he was two and a half weeks old. And we knew that he had medical needs, but we didn't learn until 15 years later that they were from prenatal alcohol exposure. As he grew, he developed more of these acronyms, sensory processing disorder, auditory processing disorder, ADHD, you know, as he grew older, he kind of the diagnoses piled up. And um, one doctor, when he was two, brought up the possibility of prenatal alcohol exposure, but that doctor never wrote it down. And when we asked the doctor, what should we do? He said, well, just put him in early intervention and he'll be fine, which early intervention is helpful, but it's not a cure for a developmental disability. So as our son grew older and more characteristics be- became apparent, um, that's when we started realizing that we needed to advocate more for this. So one of the things that I did was my profession prior to podcasting and prior to being in this world was I'm actually a music therapist and I've been a board certified music therapist for over 20 years. Um, and I didn't even know about FASD when I was studying music therapy. So it's ironic that, you know, I became my cause as, as a parent. So when our son was 15, he started having a lot more secondary diagnoses, things, depression and, and things like that. So we finally were able to to find a specialist that recognized that, okay, yes, he has an FASD. He has, a, you know, they gave him a fetal alcohol spectrum disorder diagnosis and along with the other diagnoses that he had. And we were able to, with that diagnosis, um, learn more about parenting a child that has an NFASD or at the time, you know, teenager, how to make accommodations, which is really important, especially if you're thinking about, you know, FASD in terms of like prenatal brain injury. So you make accommodations just like you would for, say, a child that has cerebral palsy or a child that has, you know, any other type of brain-based diagnosis. So once we started doing that, and that was over three years ago, because our son is, you know, 18, 
once we started doing that, that really opened the door for, okay, you know what? Not enough people know about this. Not only do they not know about it, but there are, for every parent like us who knows about this and who's learning about this, there are thousands of parents who have no idea what's happening to their kids and they're seeing symptoms worsen. That was a big reason. And what's so interesting is that we're talking to you about FASD Hope, but this wasn't your first podcast. No, no. So actually, I was volunteered for a nonprofit, a North Carolina nonprofit, NCFASD Informed. And I volunteered for them, and it was a wonderful experience. And I started podcasting for them in the beginning of, of 2020 when the pandemic hit. And the board members, we had needed a way to communicate our mission. So I was the one who actually suggested, hey, you know, why don't we podcast, you know? And I researched it and I learned about it and I really actually loved it, you know? I, and I love the medium of podcasting. I'm sure you do too. It's just great medium. It's underutilized and, you know, you're in your audience member's ear and you have their attention. And I love that. We did that. We launched a podcast through NCFAST Informed and it was successful. And, you know, this summer I had some medical issues, non-COVID, just some kind of autoimmune issues. And I kind of stepped back and I, I realized that my husband and I just, we both, we prayed and we contemplated about this and we stepped back and we formed FAST Hope, which, you know, we are mission is more global, you know, so I had the experience of podcasting for, yeah, for a while before we launched FASD Hope. I still think NCFASD Informed is a wonderful pod, not only a wonderful podcast, um, but a wonderful nonprofit organization, just like the many others that are out there. So what were some of the biggest lessons you learned about podcasting, both when you first started doing it for FASD Informed and then when you took the show on your own and not only launched your own show, but essentially your own brand in the space. I think one of the reasons why we launched FASD Hope was because not only did we want to increase awareness about this diagnosis and this disability, but we wanted to give stories of hope. Um, oftentimes, people, when they hear about FASD, especially, you know, teenagers and adults, they hear of the, you know, the secondary and the tertiary characteristics, things like jail, drugs, you know, premature death. Those are facts. And those are characteristics that people associate with FASD. But my husband and I wanted to share that there is hope with this diagnosis, you know, it's, it's a lifelong disability, nothing changes it. However, you can have hope with, um, you know, having a loved one that has an FASD when you learn about it. And when you learn about how people that have an FASD, how their brain and how their bodies work and that how you can accommodate that. Things that I learned, first of all, I learned I love podcasting. I really do. I just, I, I think it's fantastic. I learned for me personally, I like to provide my guests questions. You know, um, I've had a few nervous guests that, you know, they don't know what to do or they, you know, they, they're a little apprehensive about talking. I've also found that having a person, whether they be a professional or a family member, or a parent advocate like myself, or even I've interviewed several individuals, adults that have an FASD, I've learned it's really important for people to share their story. 
I think that's probably the biggest takeaway I've learned is that everybody has a story and it's important. And I feel like if there are more voices behind FASD, there will be more understanding about FASD. And hopefully that'll lead to more support for FASD. I think those are the biggest takeaways that I've learned as a podcaster. I actually, I enjoy editing. I never thought I would, but I do, which is funny. That must be like the musician in me because I just, I, I think it's so cool. I do my own editing. Um, you know, I, I enjoy the interaction of talking, like talking to you, for example, you know, I just really enjoy that one-to-one interaction. And it's probably because I homeschool all day. So I'm, you know, I kind of don't have grown-up interactions like as often as I'd like. So I, those are just some of the things that I've learned as a podcaster. You've mentioned a couple of different organizations. FASCETS.org was one. Yes, FACETS. Mm-hmm. Right. We talk about NCFASD Informed. That's the FASD out of North Carolina that you originally launched your podcast through. But the charity that you told me you wanted to raise awareness for was Proof Alliance. And they work to eliminate disabilities caused by you know fetal alcohol spectrum disorder in Minnesota specifically. Tell us a little bit about them and why they are so special for you. So Proof originally started as the Minnesota organization, you know, for for FASD, but they've since expanded. Proof is now not only it's based in Minnesota, but it really is all over the, you know, especially thanks to COVID, all over the country and all over the world. Proof to me, I have a personal connection because our son actually participates in one of their online programs for teens and young adults with an FASD. And it's a group. It's it's really like a support group. And he has really benefited from it so much. I've also done a couple of presentations for Proof. I've participated as a, an attendee. They have virtual conference. Well, this year was their first virtual conference. Previously, it's been in person, just like everything. So Proof to me, just I really appreciate the work that they're doing. Again, though, I also strongly believe in NCFASD Informed, the other organizations that you've listed. But for me, Proof has a personal connection because my son really benefits from the program. It's called Baxter's Group that they have for older teens and young adults. We will be sure to post a link to all of the organizations we mentioned, with Proof being the, the one, you know, that folks will see highlighted in on the feature section and in the show notes. But if any of this is, you know, hitting a nerve with you, striking a nerve with you, we would encourage you to check out all three organizations that we mentioned and a small donation, right? We've talked about it before on the show. Even as little as a dollar can help all these organizations just show the world that there are more people supporting them than if you want to just give a lot to one, you know, maybe a little to everybody would be just as powerful, maybe if not more. So Natalie, with all that being said, and we can't thank you enough for the time and sharing your story and and what you've gone through for someone else who is battling a cause or is a parent advocate like you are thinking about getting their messaging out there, thinking about spreading the word and helping others and advocating, what would be your advice to them about using podcasting as the medium of choice for their advocacy? I say go for it. I say without reservation, go for it. We know that podcasting as a medium is so untapped. There are so many 
YouTube channels. There are so many uh, blogs. There's so many, and I'm not knocking any of them. They're all, you know, I'm sure, especially with nonprofits and for causes, they're wonderful. Um, but I think that there just needs to be more advocacy through podcasting. I really appreciate when you podcast, you're really getting somebody's attention for however long, the you know, 20 minutes, 30 minutes, or, you know, 45 to 50 minutes if it's a long one. I just also think that just give it a try. I really, when I first started, I was nervous and, you know, I wasn't a podcaster or anything like that. And I think that you will find your voice as you give people an opportunity to share their stories. And I think you can also grow, not use for us in FAST Hope, we're using FAST Hope podcast as a basis for our website and for our resource page and for, you know, the plans that my husband and I hope to do through, you know, we consider this a mission more than anything. So I say go for it. And I say connect with people like you, Matt, and connect with the great communities out there. There's a lot of podcast groups, you know, on Facebook pages. There's just so much support now. I really love seeing the growth of podcasting, especially during COVID. Now really is the time to get a podcast out there if you have a cause that really means something to you. Well, I love the idea of collaborating and working with other cause-based podcasts, even if they're not on the same cause, even if they're not on the same trajectory, even if they're not in the same universe of causes, the more we network, the more we know. And, you know, one in 20, you're likely to run into somebody then who may be listening to a completely different podcast who hears this is like, that might actually apply and, and, you know, could lead to new listeners and new growth for your cause. So I think that's a, a fantastic point to not just podcast in a bubble, but to be sure to be out there, network and communicate with people even outside of your actual space. Well, once again, everyone, the show is FASD Hope, FASD standing for Fetal Alcohol Spectrum Disorder. If you want to learn more, it's FASDHope.com. We will have a link to their website here in the show notes, as well as at causepods.org. Links to the show on Apple, Google, and Spotify. Link to Proof Alliance, as well as NCFASD Informed and FASCETS.org. Yes, it's a lot of letters. Yes, it's a lot of acronyms. No, you didn't have to write it down or memorize it. I promise we will have links to everything to make it easy for you. Natalie Vecchione, thank you so much for taking time to chat with us here on CallSpots tonight. Matt, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Thanks for listening to this episode of CallSpots. If you've been inspired by the work of our guest, please check out the show notes to this episode in your podcasting app or at causepods.org. There you will find links to their show, their website, their podcast links on Apple, Google, Spotify, as well as a link to support the charity that they highlighted here in this episode. You will also find at causepods.org a way to subscribe to this show on your favorite podcasting app, how to sign up to be a guest on this show, and a link to our Facebook group, which is going to have special resources just for the folks who are podcasting for a good cause. And I can tell you right now, we've got one great deal from our friends at PodPage, but you're only going to learn about it and get that special deal if you are a member of the Facebook group for Cause Pods. And before I go, I should say thank you in particular. The show is edited and produced by Ben Kiloy of the Military Veteran Dads Podcast and what a great job he has done. And all this is made possible because of the great support that I receive from Shannon Rojas here at thepodcastconsultant.com. Once again, if you want to learn more, go to causepods.org. Thank you so much, and we will see you next time on Cause Pods. Mm-hmm.